Good morning. Good to see you all. Enjoying this wonderful day. The humidity's down. <laughs> the temperature's down. Open all the windows in the house. It's a great and fall is coming. Favorite time of the year as far as the weather is concerned. We're going to continue our look at 1 Peter 3. We're going to be in verse 8 today. If I can remember, I will, we're going to be looking at different verses, sections of the word today. I hope I remember to give you the references. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, as pastor has already asked, give us ears to hear, but give me words to speak that honor and glorify you, that encourage us, that build us up in our faith that we love one another and honor our God at the same time. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Verse 8, to sum it all up, there's a transition. There is a stopping of this section on submission. But what Peter does is he's continuing an application of the thought. It's an interesting Greek phrase. It's somewhat like, what is the, con the conclusion of the law? Love. That's what the law was all about. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is the same type of thing. Here's this focus on submission. Government, masters, wife, husband. What's its conclusion? And this is what Peter is bringing to us. This isn't a new study. This is a continuation of the same thing. He says, all of you, all of you, I like the phrase, all of you be. We have the, the, all the lettuce, let us do this, let us, let us, well, this is the be, <laughs> all of us be. What I discovered in studying is we don't really understand the bee until we understand the people who are being toward. Who are these people? We know generally that, well, these are Jewish Christians who have been dispersed, chased out of Israel, in foreign lands now, trying to put their lives back together again as believers. And that is generally what we are understand of the time. But I'd like to go a little further and give us a little better understanding of the importance of this passage when applied to the lifestyle, the life and time in which these people lived. What were the reasons? What was the culture? What did the world think about these believers? Why were they rejected? First of all was local, social, economic 
conflicts with the Jews. The Jews thought as the Old Testament taught, totally contrary to the pagan world. And the Jews were not quiet about it. They said what the truth is. And that was offensive to the world around them. And it brought social persecution. Peter, Peter makes mention of it. They speak evil of you. Why? Because you're different from them. Or be holy, or separate. These Jewish Christians were not going to be assimilated into the areas they went to live. Now, they weren't particularly noisy, but you can't help be what you are. And this is what these Christians were suffering. In uh, 50 AD, Christianity became on the Roman imperial list an illicit sect. And after 64 AD, it was declared illegal to be a Christian. When you see submit to every form, to all the commands of government, submit to their ordinances, why? Keep your head down, folks. They're out for you. Don't mean you, you disobey the Lord. It means you be kind of careful how you respond to government because they're, they're out to get you. And we see later on, Nero did a great job at this. He destroyed as many Christians as he could, literally killed them. It became a good thing to kill Christians. It was accepted. Part of the persecution, the reason is the Christians refused to honor other guards. Rome was full of gods. Christians said no. Also, emperor worship was required by Romans. I'm sorry. There's only one God, Jehovah. I'm not going that way. This is another reason for the persecution. And the persecution was real. If you really want to get into it, you can read situations of, from various governors in various areas, how they, how they handled Christians. Christians would be brought in. Your master. If your master didn't like you as a Christian for whatever reason, he could bring you to the magistrate. And the magistrate would question you about your Christianity. And the question is, will you bow to the emperor as God? <clears throat> no. And that brought trouble. No. I won't worship the emperor as a god. So now you can kind of see why Peter says, you obey all the government's rules that you can. Keep your head down because they are out for you. Most Christians were from urban areas. They were poor. They were easy prey for those seeking power and goods. James talks about this. James lambasts the Christians who were the rich Christians who were taking advantage of the poor Christians. Much of the book specifically deals with this. So it wasn't only persecution without, there was trouble within the church between the social standings. Keep in mind, this isn't the New Testament church that we know. This is the beginning. 
This is culture of the time coming into coming with the believers into the church. And it was a troublesome time. Christians were accused of being atheists because we didn't worship their gods. They refused to recognize the emperor of God. Thus they were treated as treasonous to the state of Rome. To be a Christian, you were a treasonous person, committing treason against Rome. This is the daily life of these believers. This is the culture they lived within. In our culture right now, we're bigots. We're racists. We're homophobes. We are social radicals. Simply because we believe what the Bible says. We see what they went through. We can see, if you look at the scriptures and look at our society, we are headed this way real fast. Real fast. Tell the lie big enough, often enough, loud enough, and everybody will believe it. That's why we are bigots, racists, homophobes. Because out there, that's what they continually say. And it will bring persecution. There are those out there right now who would love to cause us trouble. I saw a debate in Congress. Homeland Security had a program to put to plant people, spies, into the, here's the name, radical Catholic church to spy them out. Thank God there are some men in Congress who said, oh, no, 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 that ain't going to happen. But there are people in our government who have power to do this stuff wanting to go in this direction, to spy out our liberties. In that time, because here's social. This is what, say again, say the lie often enough. They were accused of being haters of humanity, irrational in their beliefs, social radicals, and therefore persecution was brought upon them. They weren't accused for their faith. The accusation was they were social radicals. Their faith had no, well, you believe what you want. But how you're acting, rejecting the emperor, rejecting the social norms, for that, you're going to be persecuted. So this helps us understand who these people are, the time that they're living in. A little bit of uh, church chronology. In 30 AD, we have the uh, Pentecost. In 33, we have the stoning to death of Stephen and Paul's conversion. In 44 AD, James is martyred. 47, 48, Paul's first missionary journey. 49 to 50, the Jerusalem Council. 49-52, Paul's second missionary journey. Catch this. In 54, Nero becomes emperor of Rome. See how this is starting to come together in a timeline? Emperor. 
56 to 58 is Paul's third missionary journey. In 58, Paul writes the book of Romans. Paul is under house arrest in Rome, 60-61, and in 63, 1 Peter is written. So we see what has happened before Peter is written. James has been murdered. Stephen has been murdered. Rome is actively and getting more actively aggressive against Christianity. 6061, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. 1 Peter, like this is 63, is written. This is interesting. 64 is the big fire that Rome has burned down that people say, historians say, most likely Nero did it. And to blame the Christians. 66, 2 Peter is written. 67, Paul and Peter are murdered. Martyred. 68, Nero dies. And then persecution takes a different flavor, as it were. But the persecution against Christianity continued. And so Peter says, all of you, be of the same mind. Be harmonious. Be sympathetic. Now this sympathy begins to take shape. This harmonious, be of one mind is, is the word. More literally, be like-minded. Paul later would exhort the church at Rome, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with those of lowly degree. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Peter is going this way also. What are we being of one mind toward? We're being one mind toward our care of our brothers and sisters who are under this persecution, who are living this life of fear, of caution, that I don't come under physical harm from society or from, from government. One-mindedness is what we are called to. If you go, to, go on the web and look up various churches, where of this, where of that, where of the other thing, this is our focus, this is our focus. We differ this, we're differ. When trouble comes, we have to be one-minded, and that is to support and to care for one another and the ministry which God has given us. Peter said earlier, this is our calling, to, make, to, make, to reveal the great mercies of God. You hadn't been a people of mercy, but now you are a people of mercy. This is what you were called for. And in all this distress that these people were suffering, they were still worshiping their Lord. They were still being what Christians were supposed to be in their day. Scripture says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. And they were suffering for living the Christian life in their culture. Be sympathetic, he says. Suffering or feeling like one another. Sympathetic, having a capacity to feel and sharing in the interest of others. Compassionate, tender, understanding, thoughtful. 
I believe this in our culture gives us a problem. In their culture, when Peter is snatched up and imprisoned, what did the church do? Ah, this is terrible. We get together and we're going to pray. God, protect him. Bring him out. Lord, protect him. This is horrible. They felt it. What do we have to feel in our time? Come on. But I want you to notice that feeling is an action. Whether you feel it or not, we recognize the, the problem and we act toward it. You might say to yourself uh, in your own meditations about yourself and before the Lord, why don't I feel? Some of you, I know, I hear it at prayer meeting when things come up, you hear a, <gasps> you feel. Others of us, we sit there like the old tree stump out in the back lot. We're unmovable. That's a result of our fallen nature. We just don't respond right to a lot of things. But as believers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we know how to respond, whether we feel it or not. And we pray and we ask the Lord, Lord, make us more sensitive, make us caring. And he will. And I pray that it's done in a pleasurable way, not in disaster. Turn, if you will, to Luke. Luke chapter 10, very familiar. The Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, we'll start down in verse 30. A man going down to Jerusalem to Jericho encountered robbers. You know the story, they stripped him, they beat him, they left him bleeding, took his goods. Verse 31, priest went by, went on the other side of the road. Next, a Levite went by, he went on the other side of the road. But then the Samaritan, who was a journey, he came by and he looked at him. And he saw him and he felt compassion. He felt compassion. And what did he do? He came to him, he bandages up, bandaged his wounds, he put oil and wine on his wounds, he put them on his animal, took him to an inn, gave the inn of money, you take care of him, and I'll be back this way, and if anything more is owed, I'll pay it. That is a picture of compassion. This compassion isn't a note on the prayer list that we forget about. This is action. Looking at the situation, seeing the situation, and recognizing the proper response. So when Peter says to these people, have compassion, there are people in their congregation who are really suffering and they need to move to take care of them. Maybe out of food. Maybe they need to be hidden somewhere. Out of trouble. They at least need to be prayed for. To cared for. At least they need to know they're cared for. At least a phone call. To, know, to let them know that somebody out there a week later remembers them. <laughs> it's really helpful. So we see by this example that the Lord gives us of one having compassion demands a lot of action. I know this can sound harsh. Can we drop what we're doing? 
Can we put our schedule on hold to minister to somebody in their need? I've done it. I know you do it. I'm busy right now. Can't do it. Busy with what? Me? Compassion means we give up me. We stop me. Honey, sorry, I know we had plans, but this and this and this came up, and because she's in ministry with her husband, they go. Drop their plans, and they go because of compassion for the circumstance. Turn, if you will, to Matthew 26, please. We have to recognize that our problem responding to the problems of others isn't limited to anybody. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I go over, to, to, over there to pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. The leaders of the church, the elders of the church, the men to look up to. These are who Jesus took with him. And Jesus began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Peter, James, and John are seeing this and they're hearing this. Luke's account, Jesus sweat as it were great drops of blood. His distress is obvious. Verse 39, he went beyond, fell on his face, said to his father, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And he came to the disciple and he found him asleep. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for an hour? Keep watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They couldn't respond. They did not have within themselves at this time to even continue in prayer with the Lord. Verse, 20, uh, verse 42. The second time the Lord went away, Father, if it be possible to take this cup from me, nevertheless, if I've got to drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them asleep. Their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came back to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleepy? Well, go ahead and sleep. Just go ahead. You're not mature enough to do this yet. This isn't a big enough deal for you yet. You don't recognize the seriousness of what is going on here. Get up and go. The one who's going to betray me, he's near. So we see in these passages an understanding from the Lord, an understanding of applying this suffering, this compassion on others, what it looks like biblically. Now, as I said before, we don't live in this world. 
we're all fed. We've all got proper clothes and there's more in the closet. Some of us do have another pair of pants at home. We have finances. Some of us would less wish we had more. We've got them. We're going to get in our cars and we're going to drive home. And drive home to enjoy our day. It's a beautiful day. We don't, we have a hard time comprehending what these believers are going through and what Peter is saying because it's, it's, not, it's nothing to us. We don't experience it. Now some, we have. Some of you have. When a mate or something, you find them unconscious, you know how that felt. It was terrible. Somebody died. Somebody close to you died who you didn't expect to die. Ouch! Others of us, we recognize it. We can say, oh, that's terrible. Do we gut feeling it? No. But we still, as believers, need to respond appropriately. Caring and compassion. And action to meet the need. <laughs> Talking of feelings. I saw a kick by a kickboxing match one time. And one of the components, I don't know if you know anything about it, they do shin kicks. He shin kicked his opponent's leg and he snapped his shin off, completely broke it off, didn't know it, and he tried to stand up. Oh, that I felt. Oh, that was just awful to watch that. Oh, man, and then he just went down on the deck in total agony in his leg. Oh, I felt that. I wish I could feel more when it comes to our relationships. Sympathetic, caring, feeling, brotherly love, he says. Have brotherly love. We can take the, f the familiar, blood relatives, relationships. We kind of understand that when your brother needs trouble, you drop what you're doing and you go take care of family. Mom needs help, you drop what you're doing. This is the family of God. This is our family. You and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are just as important, if not more important, than our family in the flesh. We demand more attention. This, this is what, in our fellowships, we consider one another. We look at one another. We observe one another. We hear one another to aid them, to stir them up to love and good works. Why? Because we don't have love and good works. When the Bible says, do this, stir them up to love and good works. Why? Because it's necessary. We, we fail in certain areas. So we need to be stirred up, encouraged. That's part of what we come to church for, to be stirred up again. Hear the word of God. Hear the, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, oh that's a blessing. We come here to get fed, to get understanding. Not only of God, but ourselves and how we fit into the congregation of God's family. Brotherly love. Turn, if you will, to Acts 
please. Acts chapter 4. Just a little demonstration from God's word, a, a, a picture of this. Acts chapter 4, some of you may have a title in your Bibles, The Sharing Among Believers, starting down in verse 32, Acts 4, 32. And the congregation of those who believed were one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything that belonged to them was their own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and abundant grace was upon them all. For they were all for there was not one of a needy person among them, because they all sold their lands, sold their houses, brought the proceeds of the sale, and dropped it at the disciples the apostles' feet to the distribution among those who needed. I've often come across this, and I just get, Lord, I can't comprehend this. I, I, I can't assimilate this. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to see a great need, and myself and with the other brothers in Christ, we're going to sell our second car. We're going to sell our second home, and we're going to give the proceeds to the disciples, uh, to the deacons to distribute among those who need. I can't grasp that. But that's a picture of what the Lord is talking about. Now, I, I, I know from behind the scenes observation that there are people in this church who know how to do that. And some of us would maybe like to do it, but just don't have the means to do it. But this is a picture of brotherly love. We're talking family. In time past, families were not separated like they are now. There was a family purse. There was the family money. The families worked together in business, agriculture. Not like it is today. Gone. This one lives out here in this state. This one lives over here in this state. This one lives in Europe now. Gone. Almost no communication. And yet that culture comes into the church. Me, I, mine, 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 I. We're separate. It's not to be that way. We are to be involved in the caring for one another and doing what is ever necessary to meet those needs. In our case, it's time. Redeem the time because the days are evil and that evil will take you right out of fellowship, take you that right out of your mind that this person is in need and our time goes to ourselves. Now this doesn't mean that we don't take care of the biblical obligations for ourselves, for our families. We have to meet those needs. But not in ignorance of the needs of our fellow believers. Chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, the choosing of the seven. So at that time, as the disciples were increasing in number, there came a complaint developed within the church between the uh, Hellenistic Jews and the native Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. 
And so what the church do? The church say, we have to address this. We can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. We have to address it. So how are we going to do this? All right, we're going to appoint these men. It's not good that we apostles should do this. But we'll pick up men within the fellowship, within our congregations here. We're going to pick them out to do this physical work in the church. Notice, their complaint was not overlooked, but it was addressed. What do we hear? What do we hear? Those of you who have ever gone out in the woods, you learn how to learn how to use your listening. I had an opportunity one time way up in Vermont. It wasn't very wise because there were mountain lion and there were bear. <laughs> I had on sandals and shorts and decided to go up to Table Rock, way out up the side of the mountain. And on the way back, it was getting dark. You know what I became aware of? Every time I took a step, there was ch <laughs> behind me. <laughs> I looked and I looked and I could not see that cat, but it was there. And it was there and I watched my back. What do we see? What do we hear? Are we so caught up on our own stuff that we don't see and hear what's going on in our church? So many times, I thank God for the door he's opening. But let's look at it. CEF. The possibility of eight clubs opening up. Children to hear the gospel. Some of them even to be discipled. What an incredible blessing. The fields are white to harvest, but where are the, where are the workers? Somebody has to be prepared to go into that harvest with the gospel, with teaching. That is, a, see, in our age, this is the need. Can we respond? Compassion on these little children that some of them may never hear the gospel. It isn't for the CEF time. You never hear it. Can we hear it? Can we see the opportunity that's laid before us to put ourselves into it? No. Do I think about doing it? Absolutely. Do I think of the reality of doing it? Well, now that's another story. There's reasons we legitimately can't be involved, but we can all pray. And there's reasons we really can be involved, but we're just too busy with ourselves. That's a hard thing to face. That's tough. I don't like to lay down at night and count the times that I have failed the Lord and his people. But it is a great blessing to know that the Lord is working, that he is showing me these things, and that by his grace I'm going to grow into what he wants me to be more and more. Kind-hearted. Gut-feeling. Kind-hearted, felt, felt in the bowels. I know we're not there. Some things we are. But the action, the response is still necessary. Still to be carried out. Humble-minded. Not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. Lowliness of mind. This isn't meekness. This isn't, oh, I can't do anything. 
As God said in Ephesians 4 that he gives gifts to his people, Peter says later in chapter 4, as, any one of, as every one of you have received gifts, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him do it as the oracles of God. Whoever serves, let him serve as the strength of God that God supplies. We have to recognize our gifts. It is not boasting to recognize you have a gift. These are spiritual gifts. We have physical gifts. Some of you guys can do math. Others of you, you can spell anything. Come on, who can spell chrysanthemum? <laughs> we have gifts. I have a tendency toward the idea of building and, and mechanics. That's God's gift to me. That's not mine to use for me. That's mine to use for him, for his glory. Humble-mindedness doesn't mean we can't do anything. Oh, I'm nobody. No, you're somebody in Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. You have God's power behind you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, if you want to. You have been called to inherit a blessing. Quite often we look at this blessing as future. Yeah? But do you realize how blessed we are right now? Do you realize how blessed we are right now? The ultimate end, where do you go to find a church like this? There's some out there. You are a wonderful bunch of people, caring people. You have shown yourself to Evan to understand this. And you will show it again. God has blessed us to put us here unbelievably. The nation we're in, we are free. We're not hiding like they are in China in private little meetings, afraid to make too much noise, for afraid they'll be discovered, sent to a camp to be re-educated. In some cases, they never come out of the camp. And they disappear. There are other places in the country right now, in the world right now, where you will be literally killed. No questions asked. You a believer, you're dead, and I will torture you terribly before I kill you. We, any of us suffer that? Oh, we need to enjoy the blessing that God has given us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we know the gospel. We have the word of God. You'll die in some countries if they discover a Bible in your house. And we have multiples of them in various <laughs> languages, various interpretations. The blessing that God has given us is beyond our comprehension. Right now, you don't feel bad. You feel real bad, let us know. We'll call 911. Somebody will be here right now to take care of you. That doesn't exist in many places in this world. We must enjoy the blessings that God has given us. Particularly that we have the word of God in our hands. Particularly that we are being discipled to serve the Lord. Being taught to obey whatsoever he commanded us. This is what Peter's talking about. These are the people suffering really suffering Christians. 
Therefore, let us, in all the freedom that we have, redeem the time. Take advantage of it. We can serve God. Don't use this liberty as occasion of the flesh, but use it to serve one another. See how simple the scriptures are? They really are simple if we stop and think about them. But to do that, we have to give up ourselves. <laughs> Pastor mentioned, ah, I'm tired. I'm going to go turn on the tube. <laughs> Suck my brain right out. I won't feel anything. I'll just be diverted into that thing. I've done it. I do it. Well, I really like to pray. And if you're like some of us, as soon as you close your eyes, you're asleep. I can remember the time past. I used to pray standing and actually walking because I'd fall asleep. Well, you're not very caring if you fall asleep. The flesh is weak. Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And so I had a path in my basement. <laughs> that's, that's Jack's prayer closet, <laughs> back and forth. At least care enough to pray for yourself and for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for the ministries that the Lord has given us the blessing to do. Do you realize that these opportunities are blessings from God? I'll finish with this. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. You've all come across that. Oh, that's Calvinistic. How did God love Jacob as opposed to Esau? He was involved in his life. Did you get that? How do I know he loved Jacob? He was involved in his life. He wouldn't let Jacob go. Jacob couldn't turn, but what God was involved with him. And if you find God involved in here, you ought to thank God and praise him. That's the love of God. Enjoy it. Use it, praise him, and bless one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. I thank you that these people do care. But the time is coming, we're going to be tested, pressured. So prepare us today. Prepare us as, as parents that we would teach our children these principles to understand that there's going to come a time and even now when we need to let go of ourselves for the benefit of your ministry and the benefit of one another. Thank you for your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Lord bless you all.